listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. There's a story that, that Solomon shares in our passage today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and chapter 9. And in this story, you have a, a big, powerful king who wants to take a city. All right? So Solomon is just, you know, giving you an giving you a overview of, of what's going on here. This, this king is ready to take this city. It's a little city. He's going to have it no problem. He builds a great siege work around it. He's ready to siege the city and take the city. They have no hope. This king has a huge army. There's nothing they're going to be able to do. Well, very next thing that Solomon says happens is there is a very poor man in the city who was also wise. And he devised a plan in the midst of being surrounded by this great and mighty powerful king. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Amazing, amazing. But the very next thing that Solomon says that happened, instead of this, instead of this man getting a parade for, for figuring out a way to get around this siege that was around them, the very next thing that happens No one remembers the poor man, and he was just completely forgotten. And there's your story. Thank you, Solomon. That's Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. Now, I want to invite you to read what he says next in conclusion to that, verse 16 through 18 of chapter 9. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. We are living in a very tumultuous time. We've all seen the news. The nation of Israel has been attacked from from multiple angles. They're defending their sovereignty as we speak. Uh, They have been attacked by bloodthirsty, evil, terrorist organizations that have been funded by Israel's neighboring countries. And when you look at Bible prophecy, it's very clear that the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem are going to be at the center of of conflict all the way up until the very end of the, the age that we're currently living in. And it's not just abroad that we see all of this warfare. There is an ideological war going on inside of our country. We are seeing political activism that that we've never seen before. We're seeing moral warfare raging inside of our own country. The the most vulnerable in our society are are, are in the crosshairs of this evil, wicked attack that is is going after people. And it's the ideology, ideology of the world, the world system. So what are we to do in the midst of all of this? In chapter 8 and 9 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us some advice. And it's some advice that you probably are not going to expect to hear. It's a little surprising. And we've just seen how he concludes chapter 9. And as, as usual here with, with Ecclesiastes, we're starting in the end and we'll like end in the middle. Like I always 
seem to find ourselves doing. Um, but he just said the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. I mean, so you can think about that next time you're ready to raise your voice to prove your point. He also says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So in the midst here of chapter 8 and 9 of, of Solomon, he's going to be talking about governmental authority. He's going to be talking about the futility of life and the emptiness of man's wisdom under the sun. Solomon has a lot more to say. And, and I told you his conclusion is a little surprising. And I'll tell you that right now. It's the title of our message. It's in the midst of all of that chaos, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> Usually that phrase is reserved for the godless people who live for themselves. And it doesn't sound very spiritual at all. You may be recalling Jesus' parable in Luke 12 of the rich fool who tore down his barns to build bigger barns. And if, and if you remember how Jesus told that, that parable, um, God spoke to him and said, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. All of these things that you built up. You, you, know, you had this motto of eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, for tomorrow we die. And Jesus said, that's so foolish because you have not prepared for eternity at all. Don't waste your life to build up treasure for yourself here and now because you're not going to take it with you. And a lot of times that's when we think of the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, we just simply think of it in those terms that Jesus used in the New Testament. But what many people don't realize is that this phrase actually is traced all the way back to Ecclesiastes. And Solomon didn't originally say it in a negative sense. He actually presents this as a motto and ideology to enjoy your life in the midst of the chaos. A wise person can rise above the noise. And as Ecclesiastes 9 verse 7 says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Verse 9, enjoy life with the wife, wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that has, he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now, I have, to, I have to share with you, there are a couple of ways that people take these verses. The first way is to say that Solomon is just being sarcastic here. Sure, he says, eat, drink, and be merry, but then he adds, in your vain life. And there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And Sheol is the English transliteration of the Hebrew word, Sheol, I mean, it's just, it's just a Hebrew word that we, that we don't know what to do with, so we, we just copied and pasted it into English, okay? So what does, she, how is Sheol? Sometimes it's translated in different Bible translations. It's translated either the grave or hell. And the NIV goes all Tolkien and translates it the realm of the dead, okay? 
So you have people that will take this as Solomon is just saying, look, you're going to hell. Just take it as your, you know, this is your life under the sun. Enjoy it because it will end. And they take a very negative approach to this. They, they, this, is, this is the line of reasoning where Solomon is being unspiritual. He's very ungodly at this point. This is Solomon's writing where he's not actually giving you advice that you need to take. You need to actually ignore this because he's off. And there's other parts of Ecclesiastes that are good, that tie up all the loose ends and that, that make sense of this in a better way. But right here, Solomon's just being carnal. So people will take that approach. And for those of you who've been in this series all along, we haven't been taking that approach. Like, if I had a gun to my head, I would say, no, I don't believe. I've seen enough of Solomon in this book to say he is actually giving us truth. You have to read between the lines a lot of times. There's, there's some pieces here where it may sound like it, but he continually goes back to fear the Lord. Seek wisdom, not just the man's wisdom that's under the sun, but go beyond that. So I see him here. I take the approach that he's not being Mr. Negative, that he's actually giving us something that we need to strive for. And that is that we should enjoy life even in the midst of chaos. I see him bringing truth to light, being realistic. Gritty, yes, but I don't think he's trying to be sarcastic. I think he's just giving, to a, giving it to us straight and he's talking about the vain life in more of a positive sense because we hear that word vain, the, your vain life, and it has all these negative vibes around it, right? Vanity, vain, like that sounds terrible. But if you remember, does anyone remember what that word in the original means? I mean, we've, we've been talking about it on and off throughout this whole series. It's, it's the Hebrew word havel, right? And it means vapor or smoke. It means emptiness. It's like you, you, you reach out into that cloud and just your hand goes right through it. You, you have nothing to grasp onto. Your vain life means there's nothing here under the sun in the, in the unspiritual realm that in the physical world that you're not going to be able to take that stuff with you. That stuff will fade away. That stuff will rust and corrode and it will be corrupted. So when he says vain life, he's talking about, yes, the physical side of things that aren't going to last. But our spiritual lives are not vanity. As he said, all the way back to chapter 3, you have eternity in your heart. Your soul is not empty. So the whole point of this book has been life is hard. Life doesn't always make sense. You could be a poor wise man, which almost seems like a contradiction, but that does happen under the sun. You could be a poor wise man who comes up with a plan to save your city and no one will remember you, let alone give you credit for all the good things you've done. There will always be wars and rumors of wars, just like Jesus said, all the way to the end of the age. But God still wants you to enjoy your life. We've seen this repeated theme throughout Ecclesiastes. It's the recurring theme that he has been really spreading on thick. 
It's like he's putting cream cheese on a bagel and he likes too much cream cheese and he's just using the knife to go over and over and like, let's pile some more on and keep spreading that around and around. I know we've heard this before. We heard this in chapter seven. We heard this in chapter six and five and three. Like, right, but we're still spreading that same thing around. I don't really like cream cheese myself. I usually just try to do a thin layer of butter. And if I'm really trying to splurge, it's Nutella. And so I'm just going to picture it as Nutella. We're just spreading the Nutella on really, really thick right now. And we're going over this theme again. Because that's what Solomon's been doing. This, as you remember, this is not a linear book that just explains something and proves that point and then goes on to the next one. No, we're going around and around and around. And, and from the intro in chapter one, the main juxtaposition of Ecclesiastes is this. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. The things that you think will make you happy will leave you empty. But those same things are given by God and he wants you to find joy through them. Do you see that? Think through that. It's complicated, but that's the message that he's consistently giving us. So what Solomon is doing here is the same thing he's been doing from the very beginning. The subject is purpose. The feeling is emptiness. The tone is dark. But Solomon is not being completely negative about everything either. He's pointing you to the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And this morning, we could focus on the heaviness of, of what we see here in chapters 8 and 9. We're not going to necessarily do that. I do want to run through it, though, because... When I first read chapter 8, and I know Lee was, uh, Lee was thinking he was going to preach from chapter 8 a few, you know, a month ago when I told him originally, hey, chapter 8, and Lee was like, oh, my goodness. Like, he, we, we talked about this, and I looked at chapter 8 for a while. I was like, the last thing I want to do right now is preach on, like, governmental authority again, you know, like, <laughs> of all the things going on, that was just, I, I didn't, I was not feeling that one, but I know I have to be faithful to the text, but... As I went on, I'm like, you know what? We can combine chapters 8 and 9 because they are sharing the same thing. I still want to I wanna go through these themes with you because he's going to hit a bunch of things. In the end, he's talking about all the things that are messed up in this world. But this is what he says in chapter 8 to start there. Well, we'll, we'll go through verses 1 through 7. He's talking about governmental authority. And as he's talking about wisdom, he addresses the importance of keeping the king's command. It's right there at the up front. Can't miss that. But in classic fashion, he says that, and then he proceeds in verse 3 to say, don't be too hasty to follow the king. Sometimes government will press you to do something evil, and you need to be cautious. You need to step back and not automatically just rush into any, everything just because the authority said to do it. Then in verse 4, he more or less says, if you have to rebel, do it quietly, keep it on the down low, and don't make a scene, which is similar to what we saw a couple of years ago when I preached from Romans 13 and 14. We aren't called to raise a ruckus and stir the pot and overturn the system because our number one goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. And as much as you can go along with the system, fit in. You can't always, but the more you don't upset the apple cart, the less, uh, the more you don't upset the apple cart, the more ministry opportunity you have, the less you will have, have obstacles to overcome. So fit in where you can, so you can focus on the main thing, which is the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And then he brings up in verses 6 and 7 that there is a time and a way for everything. You're going to have to juggle around restrictive government at times, and a wise person knows when to pick their battles. But one thing you can't do, verse 8, is control death. That is not something we can choose. That's up to God. And then he adds this very important truth in verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. There's a good verse for uh, the judicial system and in our, in our legal system, right? And <clears throat> I would say here, that's wisdom from a man who's been there. Also, a delayed justice system, you know, f- things that are filled with bureaucracy, that is not doing anyone any favors. And we know that when courts take ages and appeals are endless, it's not helping anyone. But let's just take a quick pause here and just apply that to your own life. I don't think we have any magistrates in in the room this morning. Uh, But just apply it to where you're at, right? When you are parenting or running a business, the same principle really applies. Don't delay in dealing out justice. Don't push it off. Don't give a thousand warnings without ever coming through with the discipline or or the corrective measure. Set things straight as soon as you can. Uh, Hear the case. Don't rush into anything, but don't leave things hanging. It's not helpful. That's enough about that. Then we have verse 14, and we're rolling through these themes. But again, we come to another layer. This is the knife just spreading it on really thick, right? Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. And that, again, takes us back to the main theme of these two chapters, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15. Look at it with me. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. There's no sarcasm here at all. All that he is saying is life is going to be unfair. Things are going to be a grind at times. You will go through slumps. But if you're living for everything to be happy all the time, you're not going to be happy all the time. And if you're living for everything to feel good, you're completely missing it. Things will never stay that way. So don't chase experiences. Instead, make the best of the day that you have. The day that you have right now is a gift from God. And and we'll take it a step further. If you are a Christian and you aren't living for pleasure, you aren't living for happiness, what are you living for? You're living for the glory of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. So walk with Christ, be filled with the Spirit, and even in the darkest times, rely on God. Fear the Lord by trusting him and shine his light, his truth into this dark world. And now that you can see the overview of where Solomon is coming from in these two chapters, I want to give you three points. Very practical, 
And I hope you enjoy this outline as much as, much as I. I. I didn't think I would ever preach an outline like this, but nevertheless, it's the best I know how to communicate the truth where we're at today. So the outline today is eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> it's those three points. Memorable for you, all right? Number one, eat God's truth. Throughout this book, Solomon has contrasted wisdom with folly. And folly is truly everywhere. It really is. It's in the TV shows that we watch where you see promises of fulfillment from fantasy situations. It's in the books that promise success and promise a happier life. You think, you think folly is in social media and the algorithms that just keep throwing throwing videos at us and ideas at us constantly? Do you think it's in there? Better believe it, right? I was talking with Katie Johnson this week, and she was sharing how she's come out of two post-Christian cultures. And one of the things that's very common when people reject God, and, and we're, we're in a phase like that where our country is headed that direction, but either they go all into logic and science and they trust that, or they delve into mysticism and the occult. There's a reason it's so common, and it's because pagan spirituality offers the same type of hope in Jesus, the, the same type of hope that Jesus offers, but it offers it, instead of through God, it offers it through yourself. You can have this power. You can know this truth. New age and spiritual mysticism offers the allure of good feelings and spiritual power, and it centers all the authority on you. And a lot of the folly that we hear today, if you listen closely, it will have that in the background. That's where it's coming from. It's, it's puffing you up and making you feel like you're the queen or the king, and you have it. It's all about you instead of actually finding your true source of strength and power in your God who created you and who enables you and empowers you. No wonder it's so popular. But you would be a fool not to think that you are influenced, we are all influenced by the same line of thinking. This is why Romans 12, 1 through 3, uh, go ahead and turn there, tells us what we need to really do. <laughs> Take a, take a look at Romans 12. Turn there with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the only way you battle these empty promises of fulfillment and power that are rooted in stroking your own ego and ultimately rooted in rebellion against God, the idea that you don't need God, that you can be a God, all this humanism that is, that is contaminated in just about every form of media, what you need to do is eat God's truth more than you're consuming all of that other junk. So you have to learn how to read the Bible. You have to be disciplined to make that, a, make that a priority in your life. If you don't, 
you're going you're gonna to be fed the other stuff just by walking around. It's in the atmosphere that we, that we breathe. So you have to eat God's truth. You have to meditate on his word. You have to talk to him throughout the day. We are in a spiritual warfare. I also recently heard that our bodies today face 100 times the toxins in one week than people 50 years ago faced in an entire lifetime. There's just a bunch of junk out there with synthetics and you name it. We could go on and on about all of the stuff that is in our diets and in our, in our living habitats that is not good for us. That's why so many of us are fighting sickness all the time anymore, right? Just like that in the physical sense, we are facing that in a spiritual sense. Number two is drink God's wisdom. Going back to last week, if you want to be that one in a thousand type of person, you have to fear the Lord and walk in the Spirit. That's where you find wisdom. Look at chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes with me, verses 1 through 6. But all this I had laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Very heavy passage. Told you the, the tone is dark in this book, right? Remember? We, we haven't forgotten that yet, have we? He's talking about, okay, the same event happens to them all. Even the good people are going to go through really, really rough times. The bad people sometimes get a, seemingly get away with it. They don't really in the end, of course. But he's talking about the difference between the living and the dead, Right? He's talking about this in a spiritual sense. Are you spiritually alive? There's a lot of people who are spiritually dead, and we see that very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, go, ahead and, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2 with me today. Those who do not know Jesus Christ, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if you know Jesus Christ, that is the only way you go from a dead spiritual being to now being raised to life. Faith in the blood of Jesus Christ changes everything. You are now spiritually awake. So many people around us are searching to and fro everywhere. They're looking for pleasure or happiness or success or or purpose. But they're spiritually dead. And this life is just full of an endless cycle of good and bad things, constantly valleys and peaks, and, and if you're just looking here below the sun, it gets really depressing because the high, highs don't last and the lows last way longer than we want them to. And if it's just the pursuit of the next experience, what is that? It's gone as fast as it comes, right? If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you have to fear the Lord, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. That's how you drink in the wisdom of God. Like, you fear him. And then you understand, look, I'm not like the rest of these spiritually dead people all around me. I actually have hope, and my hope is in Jesus Christ. Lastly, number three, be merry from God's grace. And check it out. Look where we've landed. We're back in verse 7 of chapter 9. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Verse 8 is a great verse. You may be wondering, what does he mean here by let not your oil, let not oil be lacking on your head, let your garments always be white? He's just saying, dress clean. Look nice. Spray on some cologne. Wear the perfume, right? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Don't just, just, don't just like say, forget it, whatever. I'm going to be lazy. I'll be sloppy. It's, it's going to all go to hevel anyway one day, right? Like, no. Remember, this is your life that God has given you. You are called to enjoy it. So make the best of it. Make the absolute best of it. Do it with your very best intentions. I mean, I think, I think Christians need to actually wake up and understand that sometimes and actually apply that more often. You can easily take this mindset that's, that's completely not there in Ecclesiastes, but a lot of Christians will take this overly spiritual mindset of like, Oh, I have to sacrifice. Oh, I have to do all these, these hard things all the time. And they think, like, I'm just going to have to go to Goodwill and buy all my clothes from Goodwill and just, you know, not ever look nice or dress up. 
thinking that's a spiritual thing to do. Um, you know, we can, we can meet anywhere, do anything. Like, no, when you gather to worship the Lord, when you're doing anything in life, if you're a Christian who has been saved by the grace of God, he wants you to enjoy your life and he wants you to do it well. He wants, it to do, he wants you to do your very best. And I mean, it's almost a shame how other religions will get this. They, they value and treasure their places of worship and their time. They're dedicated to it, even more than Christians are sometimes. I was talking with, with Guy Harris at Life Group on Wednesday night, and, and he showed me this, uh, this Hindu temple that had been built in New Jersey. And they're building another one of these in Asheville, North Carolina. But I looked at these, the pictures. You could look it up online. The ornate, it's like the Taj Mahal, okay? Like, it's unbelievable. It was probably $25 million, all of the intricate designs that they put into their temple in New Jersey. And they're doing the same thing, like I said, in Asheville. They, they, they don't even worship God. <laughs> they're worshiping a false god yet they're doing it with all their might. They're doing things excellently. They're using the gifts that God has given them, and they're not worshiping the actual creator. They're really worshiping their own manifestation of that, which is sad, and it's tragedy. But it's, it's just something where we have to step back and say, are you doing your best? Are you giving your best to the Lord? And that's a question that you have to answer, and it's between you and him. But... Dress sharp. Do your very best. Are you so preoccupied with the pain and the injustice that you are missing the blessings that are right in front of you? That's the last question that I have for you today. Because, and this is where this sermon gets really hard, I'll be honest. This is where, like, I've thought about this all week. <laughs> You're going through a hard period of life. You're going through a down, right? And Solomon's clear message in these two chapters is, look, life is really hard, but you know what? Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy your life anyway. Find the good in it and enjoy it. And if it was just me telling you that, chances are you'd probably get pretty upset. Who do you think you are? Come on, seriously. I do not feel like hearing that. <laughs> just be happy. Oh. Like, look how bad life is. Like, how dare you just say, find the good in it? This is terrible. That's Solomon's message for us today. As crazy as the, the wars, the rumors of wars, the governmental authority, you name it, all the valleys, as, as wild as those are going to get, you can still enjoy the life God has given you. And, and here's the big question of the day. How do you do that? The only way you can do that is a spiritually alive person who looks to their Savior, Jesus Christ. How did I become spiritually alive? Well, I became spiritually alive because Jesus loved me. God sent Jesus into this world to save me. And yes, these things in the here and now that are passing, not going too well, this person over here is being an idiot. This person over here has hurt me. But God, being rich in mercy, saved you. Amen. 
That's the only way you can find enjoyment in the here and now life under the sun, ultimately. It's to look to God and say, thank you for my salvation. And then you can actually start looking and open your eyes to all the blessings he gives. For some of you, the only thing you can look at is to say, well, you know what? He gave me my salvation. He gave me this job. I'm not in the poorhouse over here. I actually have food on the table. That's great. Some of you, you can look, even in the midst of the pain that you're going through, you can look at the child that God has given you. That child that like looks like you and talks like, wow, what is, that's a little scary at the same time, but what a blessing that is, right? You can look to God. You can see your salvation. You can see the blessings that he gives you. And you can find enjoyment. For some of you, that may mean just go on the vacation anyway. You keep putting it off because I keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. No, get out in creation. Go somewhere where you can breathe in some fresh air and enjoy it. Because that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to enjoy your life. Enjoy your hobby. Whatever those things look like for you. And worship team, you can come up here right now. But the message is so clear in this book, and it, I'm so thankful for it. I, I, I'm, I'm so thankful that we don't have to miss it just because we dismiss what Solomon says, like, like the negative approach that this book would do. Life is hard. It's full of folly and madness. War is raging abroad, and spiritual warfare never stops. But if you know Jesus Christ, you aren't just living for life under the sun. We know it's all going to end, and we, and we actually also know that this present life will end with the resurrection of the saints in glory. And the new heaven and the new earth are awaiting us. God is one day going to fully restore his chosen people, the nation of Israel. And he's going to bring all of creation full circle to the good that, that was originally in the Garden of Eden. But think about this, it's even going to be better because instead of God just walking and talking with two human beings, as was the garden with no sin, we're going to have a new earth full of millions of people who are using their gifts and, 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 and talent that God has given them to be in a new earth where there is no more sadness and no more tears. That's what we have awaiting us. So in the face of hardship and trial, you have hope in Jesus Christ. And because you have hope in Jesus, you can still enjoy the good things that are in this life. Don't focus on the bad. Focus on the positives. Eat God's truth. Drink God's wisdom. Be merry with God's grace. about the topic of this sermon or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church you are loved